Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Office Hours 38. Uh, I'm Tyler Brighton, and I am the CEO of Speak AI. Uh, doing some work uh, before this, we were hustling, trying to get a description in for this uh, this little deal book that's going to go live, and that's going to be put into in, in the front of a lot of investors. So, you know, optimizing company descriptions, DAS, everything in there. Lots of fun, a little bit of adrenaline before we jumped on this call. So, uh, thank you for everyone uh, for, for bearing through that. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, I will. Uh, uh, Move ahead, um, do a little round of introductions, and then we'll hop into some topics here today. All right. Uh, okay, Lauren. Uh, hi, uh, everyone. This is Wetzel. It's uh, CTO at PKI. Uh, I'm just uh, still coming out my heartbeat. I just had a run uh, <laughs> right before a call. That's not a good idea, but uh, I, I managed it. Uh, so yeah, uh, this was this week was very interesting. Uh, I had a couple of things uh, here and there on the onboarding and finding and fixing a couple of things. Uh, so yeah, uh, looking forward to talk about a couple of more topics here. Hey, this is Lauren. I'm the accounts administrator. I've been busy with a lot of uh, human resources, which has been lots of fun talking to some very smart and interesting people and uh, looking forward to in, uh, increasing the team here. Hey, Nihal, uh, digital strategist here at Speak. Um, short week, but a very, very uh, productive week. Uh, and same, same on this side as well, trying to expand our uh, content creation efforts. So that that's been that's been a fun little experiment on our end. Yeah, I forgot it was a short week. Actually, that felt very action packed uh, for four days. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I know you know onboarding has been on uh, top of mind for the whole team. Um, partly for you know good reasons that we want to bring on, and then partly for uh, you know some of our own analysis and. Some maybe um, force me to think about it. So that's what maybe I'll let you kick off um, some of the work that you've been doing on onboarding and some of the other thoughts you have around it. Uh, all right. <laughs> I thought we were going in a flow, uh, but that's all good. Uh, so really the onboarding, uh, put the, some numbers. Uh, uh, okay, so let me give some context behind uh, why we need the onboarding because before if the user onboard, uh, it directly go to the dashboard and the dashboard was, uh, 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 sort of a blank UI where you don't see much data because uh, you haven't created anything on the speak. So that was a huge gap, even understanding about what platform can provide the value. Uh, so what that triggered is to allow users to create any action uh, before they see the application or even the dashboard. So they at least have some insights. Uh, what is this about uh, and how, how they can create more values even for their own use cases. So we put this onboarding around in June uh, sort of the version one, I would say, uh, because it's sort of always the uh, iterating process. You learn, you improve, you learn, you improve. Uh, and uh, a, a couple of things which we learned is like, there are so many options we have put for, for the users. It's, it becomes so confusing to what to choose and what not to. And if let's say if something goes wrong, uh, they try different action, but that same thing happened. Right? For an example, if they try to upload the audio, uh, but let's say if they're trying more than 60 minutes, Boom! That is done. That's that they are not they are not they are not coming back on the platform again. Uh, if they try to create the recorder or the text note, uh, and if 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 the if the process doesn't go smoothly, they, they are not going to coming back on the platform. So there are so many different elements, and I usually to always talk about the probability because that's the easiest way to convey any topic. 
and, and the probability were too high uh, that user might not going to be able to successfully sign up. And we, we do have some numbers. I'm not going to uh, say right now, but uh, the numbers were high that the percentage of uh, the user who didn't onboard it in last three months or the last quarter were way more higher than we expected. So <clears throat> the goal for this quarter, and even we deploy this version two, uh, sort of a this week, uh, I say, and uh, it's sort of a straightforward process in our terms right now. Uh, we will see how the numbers tell, uh, but sort of you do. The first query is like what you can do on the platform. Either you can upload media, you create text node or uh, create embeddable record. That is it. That's the three steps either. And if any of the failed, it's like 33% probability, one of three gonna fail. And uh, if that failed, now we know that what needs to be worked upon, what needs to be improved. And if we see for next one and a half month, that probability is around, let's say 15%, then we, will, we are going to try another option called input URL or import text note for anything. And then we'll try to play around that. Uh, so these are the inside, I'll, I'll take a break, uh, but uh, yeah, if, if any other thoughts want to include that. And also everyone was like also part of the, let's say the onboarding version one. So uh, uh, we, we do have a, a lot of research done. A lot of things has been done before we deploy. Uh, so what you guys have personally learned through that process and uh, moving forward, not just in this project, I would say, because it's always the project. It's like, you know, even if it's the biggest project, even as a company as a project, it's like what, you, what you're gonna learn and implement even in the future uh, through this learning process, because just last thing, because it also gets expensive if you don't retreat quickly uh, in many different ways. It's not expensive in terms of money. It gets expensive in terms of you losing the customer, maybe you losing the trust uh, on onboarding. You might have wrong impression because of that one small thing uh, has been included in the system. Uh, so yeah, the stage is open. Yeah, in this case, I, I don't think we iterated quickly enough. I think it took too long. So I think that's one thing that I learned about, you know, onboarding is so important to the success of your business and having good experiences for people who are wanting to use your system. And so if we're not hyper-focused and vigilant about that at all times, um, we're losing out on, you know, a huge chunk of, you know, obviously look at them as users, as customers, but I just also think as people who value what we've built and that we can work together and, and, and create more value. I think one thing that uh, I, you know, I always talked about in marketing, and then didn't didn't live up to in this in, in prioritizing the onboarding was uh, the too many options creates inaction. It creates like sort of analysis paralysis of like what you're going to do. And if I was like promoting to someone to create a landing page, I would say, hey, add one call to action. Don't add eleven. Don't add thirteen. Uh, and yet in an onboarding experience, we overloaded people with options and just left them, uh, you know, not I mean, confused, scared, unsure of the consequences of clicking on one of those actions. And in the end, what we saw was a much higher percentage of people not successfully completing that onboarding than we would have liked to see. And just one note on the URL part, um, there's a surprise, not a surprising amount of people, but when, with URLs, uh, often people are just grabbing, I would say, a YouTube video, and often those videos are over 60 minutes. So our own limitation that we've put on a free trial for the 60 minutes is actually creating friction in that sign up. So 
you know, I'm interested to see as we've enabled just media uploads, if that's, you know, positive or detrimental because that URL grabbing is a valuable piece. But I'm guessing there's less people with 60 minute recordings directly on their computer than what we've seen from the length of URLs that someone just grab on a YouTube video. Yeah, the people who have been onboarding, um, when it comes to actually like uploading some port of, uh, some piece of uh, media, like where do you find like the majority of the people, um, like what do they upload mostly? Like is it audio, video, or even text? Like what do people usually, um, you know, move towards? Yeah, what we saw is like the upload media has the highest percentage uh, uh, in, in terms of going through the onboarding. Uh, the second one was like creation of the text node. Uh, the third one was like is, I mean, the, the, the import URL and the, the recorder, vice versa, it changed month to month. Uh, but we see that there's a huge difference between the upload media and the import URL uh, if you compare the numbers. It, it's not like 4950. It was like, I would say 1 to 50 or 2 to 50. Uh, yeah. yeah. So people already kind of have an idea of like what they want um to be uploaded onto the software before they're even really into it so they already have like an idea of what they're going to use it for so maybe it's uh thinking along the lines of um you know i have lots of media here that's more than 60 minutes maybe it's not a matter of um they're only giving me 60 minutes for like the free trial maybe it's like they can't handle more than 60 minutes on the final uploads well, and Michal did an excellent job on the marketing part where some of those searches and signups are coming from someone literally taking, saying, you know, convert audio to text. Like that's, or like upload, you know, upload MP3 and get transcript. Like very, you know, action or intent oriented ones where they have a file or something that they're coming with into the system. And so we're trying to make that as smooth as possible. And, you know, within general, some of the best systems that I've seen, like onboarding is not a, a challenge or, it's, it's an educational experience that then sort of delights you and gives you more value. And what I think we saw from our onboarding is it actually became a little bit of a chore or a challenge or a difficulty, the opposite of what we, we wanted it to be. And so simplification in that way is always meaningful. And, um, and just, again, try not to, sometimes as a company, you're trying to get things out of it that you want. Um, but we can't look at it through that lens. It's like, how can we make this amazing for the person who's having their first experience on the app? Um, so if, I think for us to be more empathetic, to switch the mindset from what we want to what our customers need and how we can help them uh, is important, especially as we continue to iterate on, on the changes that we're making here. To, to Lauren's point, though, um, is there a... Because it's 60 minutes. 60 minutes isn't our maximum like for example if someone has a subscription they no. do have the option to um, upload um, up to i don't know four, four hours. hours right um so to his point like it, it, like i, I kind of understand the reason we kind of limited it to 60 minutes because that's the free trial limit yep. um but would there be a way for us because i know what a lot of uh let's say other platforms that do this too is if you upload beyond the maximum allowed time, like for, for example, I think like Happy Scribe's like 15 minutes free or something, right? And it will basically charge you for the remaining amount or let you know that the remaining amount would be like a cost associated with you, right? Obviously, I, I'd imagine that would require building in a separate kind of like module into the system to do that. Uh, but I feel like that maybe that 
could be part of like a future onboarding where if people are coming in for the free trial, but they are uploading files over 60 minutes, that's one way of letting them know, hey, we can do this. It's just you will have to pay for the, the time beyond 60 minutes, right? Because yeah, maybe there are people who are coming in uploading. Because I think we've had a couple of questions where people asked, oh, like, can, can you guys do like files over an hour, right? Um, so maybe maybe something like that could get that message across and potentially lead to, you know, even if it's just like a little bit of revenue on our end as well. Maybe another solution too for that um, is to not just say, um, you know, your 60 minutes are, um, you only get 60 minutes on the free trial. Maybe it's more like your first upload is free. And then after that, while you're still in the free trial, if you want to upload any more, then you have to pay like an additional, um, uh, the additional amount, or you can just buy a subscription and then you can have a preloaded amount there because that way people aren't uh, blocked by like the 60 minute limit. Cause if they do, like, I can't imagine people are going to be putting in something greater than four hours unless they're trying to put in like uh, Showa. I think that's a movie that's like 20 hours long, um, but that's probably not going to likely happen. So um, like, it's not even that bad. It's not that huge of a cost for us. Um, just when they're like doing lots and lots every month, month to month. But like the first one, I think we can be pretty lenient. Uh, at least like look at it like more of like the first upload as opposed to like the first 16 minutes, you know? I, I feel like there's, yeah, th that's definitely another way to go about it. Um, I guess the, the issue there is like, are the majority of our users uploading, you know, long enough files? that they wouldn't feel kind of cheap, cheaped out on, right? So if, if someone is uploading, let's say a 45 minute or 50 minute one-time upload, or even like a two hour one-time upload, great, that would be a great thing for them. But if someone's doing like 10 minutes, right? And then it's like, okay, 10 minutes and you're done, right? Is, is that enough of an incentive for them to stay as well? But, you know, the flip side is if we, if our true target audience are people with these giant files that they're trying to get transcribed, then it, it could it could definitely work uh, that way as well. I like it. I think you know, just in our mind, you know, we want to treat everyone fairly, and I think we do see a lot of people who are uploading. I would say small clips. You know, within sixty minutes, if you can upload, you know, you can upload hundred files as long as they're short enough, and that's a lot of value that we're producing there um, for them. So I think just trying to balance it, but I think it's a good proposal on it. Hey, it's a, a way, again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to redu reduce friction on that initial sign up. So anything that we can do to, to help that. I think one thing that uh, came out that emerged was the opposite of that actually, which was some people were using the in-app recording and they were submitting files that were too short. Uh, and so we actually had a limit on how short a file could be. And, uh, and that created a barrier too. And, and that was something that we didn't necessarily expect and was indicative of another thing, a, a larger theme to me, which was, that uh, people were just trying to get through the onboarding. Uh, not necessarily valuing the onboarding. The recording was like, okay, this is my quickest way so that I can get into. But then to do what? How, That's what I mean. I mean. What? And that, that those dots are not connecting technically. Uh, it's like, if you want to open the door as quickly as possible, but once you enter into the house to do what? But maybe they already have an idea. Maybe they already have experience with other um, transcription software. So they already have a uh, understanding of how it should work, um, possibly. But uh, is there an option to like skip the onboarding altogether and just move on into the actual platform? Because that, 
that's a good way of ensuring people at least get onto the platform because if they're just stuck on onboarding and they just leave then you know that's there are ways but why why we can't do uh i can say is like because a lot of dots are connected with the onboarding it's like the marketing campaign is connected with that uh, based on the actions they do uh if they doesn't onboard there's the whole messaging part we we send them or use that use that mechanism uh for them and even for for if we go back to one more one step back is like for this in-app recording uh, i mean what i see is like if most of them are using the phone if they are if they are using the in-app recorder they mostly are coming from the phone devices or the small devices and uh uh, out of 10, I would say the seven of them were using or recording only less than five seconds. Uh, why? Only they can answer, but uh, uh, what they're doing on the platform that I, I can tell. Uh, so that was very interesting observation. It's like most of them, if they do the in-app recording, they're doing the, they're using their phone or probably tablet. Uh, and they, they do record less than uh, five to 10 second clip, which is now, it was like 15 second clip now reduced to the five second. Uh, based on the observation, so. Yeah, no, I don't know. We, we didn't really talk that much about, uh, like, for example, can you skip the onboarding, but still need to submit the onboarding form to get in, like, so that we can still get a little bit of details on how they're you know, maybe give the option of, hey, you know, I'm an expert in managing media. Let me skip through, or um, I don't know what the impact is on for us, because one of the things I think we also talked about, one of the, some of the research that OCAD you helped us with, which was identifying the true users of the application. Not true, that's not really the right word, but like they were pretty technical people, a lot of them. Um, so if we're, again, sort of this idea of treating our users like they don't know how to upload a media file when we're in 2021 and, you know, like maybe maybe we're babying uh, our, our users too much and it's actually just creating friction and undermining them. I think most people are I'm, I'm, for some reason, the metaphor or the visualization for coming to me is like an age of empires or empires earth. Sorry, if you don't get this reference, you like start in a map and you cannot see the whole map illuminated. Uh, and you're sort of walking through the dark and you're not really sure what's coming. And I think people, they're just trying to understand the entire package or offering of what, what we have. And I think we, we, we thought that by giving them a, an upload or their own information, like their personal information, uh, or a text file or audio created more value because they got to see the analysis on something that was theirs and that created more value. But we've also seen some conflicting results uh, uh, with that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we made these changes for, for this week. So uh, let's track them down and see how does that go? How does that perform? Uh, what the version three looks like and what needs to be improved. So uh, that's what we can say in the conclusion uh, for this point. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll move on to something that I think is related to this then, which is, uh, you know, something that, you know, we, we've talked about before, I think, but this idea of just like product market fit and how valuable is your product to customers. And sometimes we've, um, you know, we, I've definitely had moments in conversations uh, where I felt, oh, we are on the right path here because uh, I know what this person's going to say, and, well, and then they said it. And those people end up becoming, you know, customers, annual licenses, and subscriptions. And those are really beautiful moments. And then other times you have 
sort of what some of the real feeling of my, my feeling was this week, where we have a lot of people coming in to test out the system. Some of them, maybe some of the impact of this is just struggling to get through sort of the sign up or onboarding or not having as much as an incentive to continue to revisit the platform. But like, there's a lot of people who are signing up, doing some test uploads, playing around with the system, and then not maybe finding enough value to continue um, paying uh, or sorry, continue using it and then subscribing. And um, that's something that I think we want to figure out. And the idea here is that before you can actually scale a business, before you can scale your marketing efforts, you really have to have a product that is sticky, that is valuable enough, that's solving a pain point. And uh, I believe it's uh, Mark Anderson, like uh, I believe he's talked about like a hair on fire problem, basically. Like my, my this is solving such a big problem, like that I will, I'm very happy to pay for it. And until we solve that, if our, we continue our marketing efforts, we're just going to drive users through who churn and don't find value. So part of this effort is how do we measure if we have acquired product market fit, and if not. And how do we iterate until we get there? Um, so just you know, quickly, just to give some some context to that. So really, classic survey. I believe it was by Sean Ellis who originally made it. He said, if you put out a survey and under forty percent of your users don't say they'd be very disappointed if your platform no longer existed, that means that you do not have um, product market fit. And so this is an initiative that I think is really important for us to undertake right now because we're seeing good signals and growth, but we're also seeing you know, signals that there are some things that we need to improve in our system. And a lot of that might include UI and UX, messaging, and even just functionality that we choose to add next to the system to create more value and solve problems better. Uh, so I'll stop there for a second. There's a couple other interesting questions that come out that are sort of follow-up questions to that main metric. And what I hope to do is figure out together how we can incentivize. We need about 40 minimum users to fill out this survey to give us some feedback um, on it. Do you think like having a, uh, an upper moral score is a good enough, um, uh, like an equal enough to that, uh, that metric? Um, just thinking that's probably a bit easier for people to understand, I suppose, to like, you know, think about whether or not they would share it as opposed to like how well they could get off without it you know i don't know maybe just another way of rewording the question um but that's also a pretty important uh, metric to be following they're kind of a bit more i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that but yeah that performance score go oh, quickly sorry just so that you can see these uh some of it this is basically the survey and how it's laid out so how would you feel if you could no longer use the product? Uh, and then very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, not disappointed. I'm sharing the right screen, right? Yes. No longer, I no longer use your product, right? So where do they fall into, uh, into this? And then there's a follow-up question. Please help us understand why you selected that answer. And then they put it in a text box. So hopefully you can get some more qualitative responses of why you're no longer using that product. And then, what, you know, then the second bigger question is like, what would you use as an alternative? So if your products or service was not available, I wouldn't use or I would use. So this is also where you would start to see sort of some of your competitors and alternatives emerge. And then the other following questions are more open-ended. Main benefit, what type of person do you think would benefit most? How can we improve your product name uh, or product? Yeah, product to best meet your needs, what motivated you to use? So why are you using it? 
So I think, you know, what I said here was the type form seems to be the most intuitive kind of solution to get results like that. That's a lot of questions to ask. So I think the incentives needs to be high enough and you need to make sure that also people aren't answering those questions in a poor way just to get the incentives, which is what we sort of saw with some of the research um, that we did is people will sign up to get, uh, you know, 60 bucks or an Amazon gift card because um, everyone wants an Amazon gift card. So um, trying to make sure that we are getting the right people to answer and valuable answers out of that is another challenge. But how can we build this into our product, not just once, but on an ongoing iterative basis in a way that incentivizes users to give us feedback and be pretty ruthless with classifying these results and then figuring out what we need to do next to um, enhance the value of our platform. I remember at one point too, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I think Basil had put a, a rating system on all of the pages as well. I was curious if um, that was in use at all, or uh, you think that actually sending people emails and, uh, you know, long lists of questions are a better alternative than like rating systems and, you know, one out of 10 or thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. That would definitely help. I thought it, I think so. It was like, last year around when we were around less than 1000 users. Uh, so, I mean, anyone not that many subscriber, I would say. Uh, so there was very rare chance that we would have some quality feedback and there was no incentive uh, for submitting the form. So there is, there is always the challenge. Uh, I don't know for other company, but at least for us at this moment to find the good uh, relative feedback, because let's say we did with the okay view, and uh, okay, research and uh, they did the interview with a couple of customer. It's like still, who, who, for example, for the next round, who, who are those customer? Are we sending to everyone or are we sending to the people who are subscribed on the platform or are we gonna send them based on their job title? You know, what, what does that look like? And the second question Stuart is, uh, it's like, what is, what is going to be the outcome? What are the, three things we will get out of it based on that. And we're gonna make some changes. It's like, what, what are we looking at? Is that the, the okay, the product market fit is, is the goal, uh, but what, what are the objective? Because that, that is that goes to the, oh, they want to subscribe for the platform. They're not gonna churn out. Uh, they find more value compared to X, Y, Z. Uh, so yeah, those are the thing uh, just thinking about. Basically, there's this idea of, um, especially in a, you know, an early stage company, there's only really two stages, um, pre-product market fit and post-product market fit. And you can lose product market fit if you make wrong decisions. Um, and there's still like concern, you know, still different definitions that are given, but the 40% one in that survey is one of the ones that are, is really provided. But the other one is your money in your bank is piling up and your customers are piling up. And so many, so many of your new customers are coming through referrals that you can't even handle the volume. And you know we're, we're continuing to grow, but we're not hitting that pace. You know what I mean? Like I, I would love that, uh, you know, in the next quarter that we're overwhelmed by customer demand. Uh, and and how do we get there? We need to figure out some. Yeah, we need to figure out some things. And I think that's one thing that sticks out to me, which is. Again, I've, I've probably talked about that before, but that's what I remember maybe at the start of last, end of last year, we're like, we just want to get some feedback. We just want people to be using this business and valuing it. And we started to see that a lot more this year, but it's like, we just have a bunch of people on our team 
who care a lot about this and just want to help. And, uh, you know, for us to be able to have that opportunity, we need to make decisions here with what we're doing, but we need to build and message properly so that people know that we're the right people to ask for that help from. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to give some numbers, for example, it, it is surprising for me, at least on mine, it's like in September, we had around uh, 269 users signed up. Uh, out of that, 50 customer users are coming from the education slash student. So it's like, you know, almost, so, I mean, that's, that's a huge number who's coming as a, either the job title is a student or coming through the education field. So how does that look like? And uh, that, that was very interesting. And even in August, we have around the 273 sign up and, and 51 people coming from the education of student uh, as a student. So, I mean, does that, that impact the, anything on the feedback side? Yeah. Is that the highest uh, like market uh, demographic then you think? And, and I would say maybe volume of signups, but not revenue contributes to the system, you know, and that's a big difference uh, for us as we try to grow. I really like the one question in the survey, which is um, what type of person do you think would benefit most? Uh, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, because if you're maybe you're say you're a student, you self-identify as, you know, I'm a student and this gives me the most valuable if I got unlimited minutes you know, or X, or if, if it didn't fit your needs or the problem you were trying to solve, it's asking you to imagine the person who it would solve that problem for. And there could be a lot of information and clarity that comes out of that for how, how we fell short for our offering, but then where they think, where people believe that there is value within the system. So. Yeah, you know, marketer slash man who one day will be a full holistic product marketer. Uh, and what do you what do you think? Uh, it's it's tough, right? Uh, I I think finding product market fit is and keeping it is always the the dream of any any company, right? Whether tech or or otherwise. Um, how to get there, I think, is the 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 true challenge. Sometimes, um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like with the the whole concept of product market fit and getting to that point, right? There's like there's no real gauge for like how how fast is or how fast you should get there, or how slow is is at what point are you getting there too slowly? Right, it's like, what's the timeline of that? Is it a year, two years, five years? Right, it's, you know, if you haven't found product market fit, but somehow your company is still functioning and you're still, you know, bringing in revenue, you're still kind of grinding on. Is that also a win? Is that a semblance of product market fit, or are you still just doing whatever you need to do to to stay afloat? Right, and I, I feel like sometimes I'm I'm not very clear on on what um, on what that necessarily means for for us as a company either because it's like if, if you know obviously product market fit is important to scale um, but I don't know if it necessarily has to define uh, an entire organization um, 
or an organizational success, right? Once again, it depends on your bigger dreams and where you where you see the company yeah. growing to. I think it de- but, exactly. I think it just depends on your aspirations as a company. Because yeah. um, one of the things that is talked about in, especially in early stages of finding product market fit, is, and this is something that you you know delightfully talk about. Maybe not delightfully, word, but very narrow your focus. Focus. Pick a niche and go hard on a company and on a very very specific, very 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 painful problem. And um, that's what allows the scale to happen, right? Because everything becomes so repeatable. And then, then you see, I think the opposite, which is sometimes what we see is like a company, maybe a more consultative company. You see them all the time where it's say like, it's like a agency or research firm where they're serving multiple industries and they're still growing their business. They're doing good work. Maybe, maybe they've, they're not necessarily going for, you know, a thousand percent year over year product growth. Um, and they actually like the, the, the uniqueness of some of the projects that they take on is actually a driver for why they're in the business. Like a research firm likes doing X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, one of the examples that's really sort of outspoken on the idea of product market fit was the, the guys who created Superhuman and how much time they spent testing or before they even went into production to get these metrics around product market fit before they actually released publicly and started to scale. And so I guess it really does depend on the aspirations of the business and what you're trying to accomplish. I think everyone wants to grow quicker and faster. And, uh, you know, that's definitely an aspiration as a software company that you're, that you're trying to figure out. Um, and just lastly, like the feedback that you often get, it's interesting because especially if you're talking to investors, they're investing at different levels, investing at different risks. Um, profiles. But if a company has determined that they're reached product market fit through, say, measure or something like this, an investor at that part, point knows they can dump money into that company and it's just going to generate returns. Whereas if you're pre product market fit, you're struggling to retain customers, customers are churning, your net revenue retention is low, um, you're a much bigger risk at that point to make an investment. And if you put money in, that money might not go anywhere. Uh, so, um, from us, from a confidence standpoint, whether we inject any capital into the business, um, you know, I think we're pretty confident right now in the kind of things that we want to do, but if we can start to focus on some of these underlying metrics, the net revenue retention, cost per acquisition, uh, churn rate, these things, we can be very confident in the next steps that we need to take and be able to communicate that outwardly and also really radically prioritize the development that we're doing. Just to your point too about just diving deep after, let's say, a very high, high pain point, like a, a very uh, not strong pain point. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a very big pain point, very painful pain point. Painful, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, a paralyzing pain point. Um, it, it's like sometimes you don't even need to do all the. Like if, using superhuman as an example, I'm, I'm sorry, maybe it's part of it is just I'm literally not their target audience, but you're paying 30 bucks a month. I don't know if they've increased their price, but you're paying 30 bucks a month to use Gmail, right? <laughs> and it's like, like, I understand they have like all their, their little features and stuff built into there that maybe I don't see value from, you know, these high, these CEOs and C-suite executives are finding value from, and they're very willing to pay 
uh, you know, 300 bucks a year to save an hour of their time because one hour of their time is worth a thousand or two thousand dollars, whatever it is, right? Um, so I, I feel like that's definitely one business model you can follow. I right? just go after even if you look at things in the on the market in the marketing realm, you know, you have things like direct to consumer or um, just high ticket sales, where you know, are, do you want to uh, work for Walmart and try to sell, you know? $2 million $5 t-shirts or do you want to work for Rolex and sell, you know, 10, like $50,000 watches? Like what's, what's the kind of market you're going after? What's the messaging that goes into, into those things? And it, it almost gets to the point where if your, um, your target audience is wealthy enough or kind of has the, the expendable capital, um, I feel like that that's a very easy, easy market to break into versus, um, you know, places where budget is always, always at the top of mind. Um, so, uh, you know, like I know we talk about things like going after enterprise because, or just larger client bases, because, you know, they won't, they don't really care about how much it's going to cost them. They care about how much, you know, like money will it save them. Or how much like time will it save them? Right, it, 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 like the the cost isn't the prohibitive factor for a lot of these companies, um, and I think we've seen that with some of the maybe um, c- certain clients or certain leads that we've had, where you know th- there's a lot of negotiation over, let's say, like a five percent decrease or something. While when you flip that coin and you look at the enterprise clients we've had, if anything, they're willing to pay us more to even you know reduce their work workload by like 30 minutes right yeah. which which i think is is definitely an interesting interesting parallel um when you touch that i mean i think something that's really interesting which you know something we i think about a lot which is i guess from the branding perspective and something that superhuman had in their execution plan was going after these sort of um high profile people that were influential and that drove a lot of the adoption of superhuman. I'm with you. I don't. I've never used it, so I don't know how groundbreaking it is. I I don't truly really get the exact type of it. My Gmail is fine. Maybe I'm missing out on a lot of things that could be better for my life. I remember when Rome Research um, was going through a little bit of their hype cycle, and people would buy their $500 believer plan, and you would see a tweet of saying, "I just heard of Rome Research today. I don't know what they do, but everyone's talking about it, so I bought the believer plan." And they hadn't even tested the platform. And it's like the power of that is very strong. And, you know, it's something that I, I would like to, I don't want to maybe go towards the cult, like, uh, you know. Let's do more to marketing. Yeah, exactly. It's just like that. And, you know, I don't think we're, we're, I mean, we're definitely not there. There's two sides of that, which is note them out just from what we're trying to do is aspirational, inspirational, and driving people. Like that was something that drove, that's what was so curious about Rome Research was overall, everyone would complain about the UI, UX, sort of the experience that people persevered through it because of sort of the excitement around what they were trying to do. I would like to be the opposite. I would like to be both the excitement around what we're doing and then providing the product experience. That's not the controllable situation, though. That's not in your control either. None of, that's not in anyone's hand. Uh, Not possibly, but there seems to be approaches that are necessary or have been, you know, we look at, for example, again, the the raise of copy AI this week and the traction that they've grown in such a short time. The same thing that Rome Research did, they leveraged Twitter 
and started to really grow virally through that platform. And when Copy AI did their, I'd listen to their live sort of um, audio chat after every single employee that they had, every single customer that they even brought up to speak had the way they had heard about Copy AI was Twitter. And that was, I mean, not that I'm saying that that's what you know you need to do, but it's there's a, a pattern um, that emerges from how you expand your reach much quicker than maybe what we've done um, in the past. I sort of agree, but I would partially agree with that because I mean, for example, each company are unique in their own way, and they find their own product market fit in different ways. There is not uh, uh, because let's say we follow the different trends and stuff. And let's say because copy AI or the Rome research uh, had some, some, some sort of a hype uh, early this year because of the Twitter. So now all the companies need to just copy them or replicate them. Uh, I mean, they, they, have, they, they definitely have their own different background. Uh, they are coming from their own different teams, different research, different market and everything. Uh, so I don't know, to me, it's like, it depends on, on your, as a, as a company, it's, it's their own uniqueness. It's like, how did you find uh, the product market fit? It's like, there's one, one, one interesting part is like, uh, put your website down for a, way, for, a, for a day and see how many people complain. Out of 10, how many people complain? 40, that it is, you don't need to do the research. Just kidding, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> I would say, I would argue, I mean, not to get stuck on that, but I would argue what we've seen is an example possibly with wrong research of a company losing product market fit because they had actually had so many people who were early adopters and were excited about the innovation. And when drone research couldn't keep up with that innovation, they actually moved to log sequence or obsidian. And uh, with that, the, the communities with them that produced the value of drone research and you know a bunch of other sort of peripheral effects and had you know impact on the brand and everything there. So you know it's just an interesting thing to watch. And what I hope is that if we can continue to sort of focus on these onboarding and a beautiful user experience and then delivering on the I think the true part for what we need to deliver on is the value of the insights um, that we're trying to derive and giving people ways to generate those for themselves, share those. That's where we need to continue to grow because that's where the referrals, that's where the word of mouth uh, will yeah. come from. Um, I, I just want to quickly ask, you know, for you guys, like when you look back at all, say all the people who have onboarded, even if your own interactions with speak, what, you know, when it comes to you, like what do you think is the most painful problem that Speak is currently solving. In my view, go ahead. No, no, go, go for it. Okay. To, to me, what would always uh, be the most painful part is like the workflow. And the workflow, you can have the transcription on different product, there's no question for sure. It's pretty common sense, uh, but the workflow, the management of the, the whole process solves the problem and save your time, save your money, uh, pull a lot of resources out in good way uh, as a company, uh, but also that, that also help you to create more revenue or save your time. And uh, the workflow is way more important right now, uh, uh, even for us to build more on top of that and get to the point where the whole the whole, whole process for our customer is smooth. Uh, because if you just pick one individual point, you're gonna find way, way, way 
better companies who does in the market. No question, they would definitely have more customer, more revenue. There's no, no debate on that. But when you, when you combine the whole solution, I mean, in my view, it's always and always going to be uh, going to create more values uh, because there are so many examples. I don't know if you, if you guys, any of you use Zoho, but Zoho has so many different modules and the integrations which will, which will solve for a lot of problem, intercom. It's like we, uh, we all use intercom. It's like why, let's say there, is, there was a drift, but there are so many modules were missing where, so do you think drift has not the good chat technology that, that, that it was delaying the message? No, it was perfect by technology wise, but what, what solves the problem is uh, the full end-to-end -end solution in my view. I would say like the actual, uh, the human transcription part as well is a pretty big pain point. I think that what we're, the solution that we have put together, even just like not so much like for human transcribers, like shifting on the workload of someone else, but like even just, I found it very, uh, very helpful for, uh, for me to bring up um, like our own transcripts, just like in the app. Um, that's something that's really been um, the most noticeable for me anyways, when it's actually like, the uh, like the actual inputs uh, and how much of a uh, how easy it is for like a, for you to transcribe your own work really um, like sure there's lots of like automation going on there so there's a lot of like work that gets done without you even really touching things but when it comes to the actual work that you just know like it gets to the point where there's no way of working around it when you actually have to put input it yourself I think that we did a really good job actually you know with the UI UX there. It could be cleaned up. It could be uh, just like little nitpicks here and there, but overall, I think it's a pretty good experience. And that seems to be like the biggest pain when it comes to transcription is actually getting, you know, moving on from automation to the actual perfect, you know, human transcription. Yeah, I think, you know, with an end-to-end -end solution sometimes comes the the issue of crossing that uh, like that barrier of understanding for a lot of people, right? Because uh, to your point about copy AI, for example, like what they were able to leverage was, yes, there was the, the whole public space and building public that they did, but they took, you know, something, a novel, super marketable uh, technological innovation that gave a very defined output, right? For a very specific group of individuals. Um, and, and it's very simple. Like they're like, they don't even explain what it is. Like, oh, here's a GPT-3 AI that generates blog copy for you, right? Like that, that, that's that's their whole marketing pitch, right? The question is like, what do you think? How how how, how easy is going to be replicate that? I know they, they obviously raised, mm -hmm. I think so 13 or... Eleven million dollars. Yeah, yeah, eleven million dollars. Yeah. So it's like, for example, if how I don't know how they raise because it's like, oh, have you built this technology by your own? No, you're using GPT three. It's like I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But that's another topic. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it was interesting. <coughs> Sorry, because I, I hopped on for a little bit yesterday. I think they had like a Twitter Spaces or something. And the one thing that uh, their head of product brought up was you know uh obviously right now people are using us um, we, we give them general guides 
they use us to generate these outputs and then they take those outputs and kind of have a whole bunch of work that they do after the fact. Right. Uh, and I think one of the points he said is how do we more or less get rid of that after the fact for the user, like in, instead of them still having to do work, how do we basically do everything for them? Right. And it definitely fits into, you know, uh, this whole, uh, building a system for people where they can get all their jobs kind of done in one place in a relatively seamless, seamless manner, right? So if, if someone needs transcription, obviously they'll come in for the automated to save that initial cost, then they can do the cleanup, then they can build the media libraries, then they can access the data. And then, you know, the next step would then be, is there a way for us to actually help them with the post, almost like the post-production, right? Or, or the production, right? Because right now I still think that production element is where a lot of people, as much as it sucks, like obviously all these steps are crucial to enabling that production. But I think a lot of people, uh, at least in the general sphere, don't see prep as valuable as like an output, right? Um, at least that's that's my perception of it like i think people undervalue it's the reason people undervalue the cost of transcription for example right because that it's a very preparatory preparatory thing right it's oh, i'm transcribing this podcast in order to then create a blog post in order in order to then upload it to youtube in order to then then do xyz right but they don't actually see the act of getting a transcript as truly truly valuable doesn't it start with the with the opposite? Isn't it like mean? what does that mean? Is like isn't it like okay, I want to publish my library, mm -hmm. I wanted to clean up the transcription. Isn't it start with that goal and then they need to do the process? Or it's like what do you what do you say? It's like it's a process and then they find the create the public library or create a block or anything, but isn't it reverse? It's like they know what they needs to be done and the, the the platform does support that it, it supports it yes it definitely supports the goal but it doesn't help them achieve the like it's, it's kind of like for example when we're talking about qualitative research and the qualitative research process right at this point we help let's say clean up data sets right but our actual capabilities in terms of helping them do the actual research is not quite there yet right I had a conversation with uh, that research firm last week about this, and they, you know, it was interesting. He asked at the end was, so if we dump all this media in, will your system give us the like basically the executive summary? He's basically trying to replace himself completely out of the process because right now he's manually looking at everything, and then he's writing this executive summary that is being part of the final presentation, and uh, so we know that we're not necessarily sufficient in that process, but we actually know the outcome uh, that they're try trying to get to. And we know that that's a very painful process. Uh, and like you can hear in describing that, um, you know, how annoying and frustrating that is. And even, you know, a couple of changes on a transcript, you know, can be to try to get to that final output where you can make that executive summary accurate, concise, compelling, valuable. And along with that, a summary came some quotes, some clips, and some other things for them to be able to make their point. Um, and, you know, I guess looking at that process, 
you know, you know, I touched on that before, but one thing I think about is speed. Uh, and, you know, I'll look at, you know, the, the, I guess the pain point, you know, that, 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 I, that I want to help, you know, figure that out is, is the speed part. And, um, you know, when you're doing research, you're, you're, you're processing a lot of information and you're trying to produce results and analysis. And at one point, um, I wanted to do that and I was actually incapable of doing that. And I feel like we're now getting closer to doing that with Speak. And it was really nice to hear we did some one-on-ones this week was like feeling a little bit more confident. Obviously we have some things to figure out onboarding, but the platform is del delivering value in some ways. But, um, you know, we touched on that description we just did. We included the word no pug uh, in it. And I think that's because there's a lot of people who want to be able to have the ability to do these things and they can't. And that's a really painful process when you don't actually have the ability to do it. Or if you, if, and if you can't, you have two options. It's either find a solution. Those solutions can often be very expensive. It could be software platforms. It could be hiring someone, um, or you're going to have to invest the time to figure out how to do it yourself. If you don't know how to code, if you don't know how to do it, you know, then you're stuck, you know? And I think that's where a lot of people often feel about this process. And when we've been able to deliver, there is this gap because there's technical large teams that can do this themselves, but there's a, a layer underneath who don't have that capacity. And those are the people who truly find value within our system because they realize how much value we're creating, how complex it actually is and how much it would cost for them either financially or through time to achieve the same purpose. So the more that we can support that, um, I think that that's, that's where we need to hone in on. And, um, you know, it comes back to speed and, and just giving people the ability, like it, it sucks when you can't do something and you feel hopeless about a task. And if we can help solve that through our system, then, then we will win in the end and we'll create a lot of value for people. Um, we're at time here. I just want to show, yeah, the, go ahead, go ahead. Just, okay. the, just the last point I want to add is like, uh, the, the speed workflow, the integration, uh, the time is the one part, uh, but that also gets quickly go away if we don't produce the quality of the inside. So the quality is the another factor that plays if any similar company does this, the whole end-to-end -end process. So that could be the transcription, that could be the inside. So uh, once we get there, the quality is going to be uh, the whole next chapter uh, to, yeah. to figure out. Yes, like, I think what people want, I mean, we talked a little about that matter before, before, is like the oil refinery, but it's like you just throw something in and then like magic comes out. And it's like, oh my God, breakthrough, throw, breakthrough, throw. And, you know, let's, you know, continue to try to work. I just want to show one thing before this, uh, before we end this. This is uh, sort of confusing to look at. So I apologize if this is like the last thing, but I think it's a very interesting thing. And it's talking about, Though sort of back to this idea of product market fit, but he, you know, it was basically talking about the stage, the stage that it is, and then what grade you would be at depending on um, sort of the metrics that you're you're measuring here. And uh, I'm still sort of picking apart this because it seems actually, you know, quite complex. And again, I apologize for ending on this, but just like again, like percentage of top of funnel who become paid customers. You know, what is uh, what is an A plus? So if we're saying ten percent you know, 10% of people who sign up for speed then become customers. We're, I think we're quite far away from that metric now. I think we would be C to D, uh, just got to get on that. And so this was just, this guy is very knowledgeable. I shared a tweet with you guys and I'll revisit it. Um, I just wanted to share this quickly. I guess any thoughts as you look at this? Uh, I know it is sort of complex to, to think about, but anything that sticks out uh, for you? 
probably didn't send it. I'd love to do it eventually. Yeah. Put down our result and our grades and see how we are. I haven't heard of these stages before, like the magic and the habit stage. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, yeah. Should we like go backwards, do you think? And like, um, like stage as in like the life cycle stage. So do we have to like go back? Because like, yeah, I guess we have to do all the pre-seed stuff and then seed well, after we've I done first round of investment. Yeah, he uh, talked about investment, but it's just goals as a company here as well too. So we were saying, for example, a, you know, day seven retention and then day 30 retention. What is that? And if you have 80% retention, you are in the A category, like you are, I mean, you swear about crushing it in terms of retention and you're actually building your product into a habit. So we've seen, I would say, small indicators of that with certain sub-segments or certain customers who use our system every day, every single day. Yeah. Um, other ones though, we're seeing a person come, you know, average visits per week. They're not even on three, they're on one visit a week. Um, so again, I know this is a lot of information to sort of look at. I thought this would be an interesting resource for anyone who, who watches these or anything too, but I just read the, the tweet thread that led to this and then how he, then this display and I was like, this is a pretty mind blowing thing. This guy has brought it down to a science uh, and just something pretty uh, aspirational for us um, to sort of look at and how we measure our success as a product, hopefully a product yeah. You know how they put yeah. the number and what's the research behind it? Hey, where is this from? Who did this? I don't, I it's the source of the truth nowadays. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, it's like, how uh, is that how they approve these numbers? It's pretty good tracking to to. to track. One second. It was um, John Banner writes about early stage startups and oh yeah, uh, he was like one of the. He's a board member at Lambda. Um, he did, oh, and then he's that three time three times founder with. Three x three exits. Get one of the big ones there. Yes, yeah, so. a ton of followers. Uh, pretty well. Like just from reading. Yeah. Obviously, you have to validate. But like when you read what he's writing, it's like, oh man, this guy knows Makes sense. what he's talking about. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah it'd be so, fun to do. I think we could do that like on a monthly basis and see what our grade is month to month. Yeah, be nice. that would be a nice way to track or get even the what our own feedback. Uh, it's like what how 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 everyone is doing. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I know. I'm glad. Hey, cool. So I thought that was like I took a risk by showing that at the end of this. No, but, I, <laughs> because what because what what I what I found is like uh is like hard work is not going to help you to reach the product market fit. Uh, so it it, yeah. it is not the physical work. Because like if you're putting twenty five, whatever, it's not going to help. It's need the strategy tracking metrics. I agree. Uh, I agree with that. We've I've worked hard for a very long time. Doesn't mean you, you know, it doesn't mean you're progressing that much. Uh, so, um, okay, uh, it's 104. Uh, any thoughts before we uh, close this out? Oh, pretty good. Okay. Might see the next office over in the different country, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Do, you, do, you have, do you have ethernet or Wi-Fi? Oh yeah, pretty cool okay. setup by Oka. Okay, nice. What time will it be? So it'll be, give us the time that you'll be on when we're doing our office hours. Uh, it's going to be around uh, 10.30, probably. Yeah, 10.35. Uh, I mean, basically 9.30 to 10.30. Uh, that's not super. Okay, well, yes, Ratzel uh, taking a well-deserved trip back to India. It's been too long uh, since he's been able to see his family. So uh, very excited for him and uh, we'll miss him here in Toronto. 
but uh, we know he's doing good things in India. So, um, okay, anyone who, uh, go ahead, yeah, good, good, all right. Anyone who watched, listened, read, whatever you do, however you ingest this form of media, thank you. Thank you for all the support, Speak I really do appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. All right.